All right, let's pray. God, you know that um, we come here with so many things on our mind. Uh, we come here with tiredness, with discouragement, with joy, with sadness. And um, wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, uh, we trust that you are a good God. And we ask that you would feed us with your word as we learn about the Trinity. I pray that you would open our eyes to this truth and that this would cause us to love you more. So with our uh, limited words, with our feeble attempts, may um, even this Sunday school lesson, may the teaching of it, may the uh, listening of it be worship of you. And may you be glorified in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week and next week, we're going to talk about the Trinity. And the Trinity is one of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. And it's what makes, it's one of the main things that makes the Christian faith unique to all, all other Christian religions. And we'll talk more about um, what makes it so unique and how this sets Christianity apart from other religions this week and next week. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about uh, how the scripture reveals the Trinity to us. And we're going to talk about what it means in, in terms of, or how the church came to understand the Trinity. So uh, how hundreds and hundreds of years ago, our fathers, they, they helped articulate these things that we believe now. And um, finally, we'll talk about the Trinity in creation. So this is this week. And then next week, we're going to talk about the Trinity in terms of how it relates to our, our lives. So what does it mean that the, there's a Trinitarian aspect to our salvation? And what does it mean for our day-to-day lives that we have a Trinity God? So, uh, well, let me start off with defining the Trinity. Definition. So this is just one definition of the Trinity, but this is kind of captures at its essence what the Trinity is. The definition, within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we, d- oh, we don't. Do you mind? Thank you so much. Uh, it might be the uh, Bruno's. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. Sacrificing for us. Okay, so this is what the definition is. So um, I'm recording, uh, so let me read it again, and I'll edit that beeping out. So the definition of the Trinity. Within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're going to have a few diagrams and charts today, but um, within the Godhead, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So... Well, explain what this is. Is it does it mean that there's three separate gods in what we call the Trinity? Does it mean something else? So, we'll we'll um, kind of pull that out as we continue on. So let me for, let me show from you show from scriptures what the Trinity is or what how the Trinity is revealed. And I want to set the foundation to show us that this idea of the Trinity it's not merely a New Testament concept. It's not something that what just came up as time went on, but it was something from the very beginning of, of redemptive history has been in the scriptures. So um, we're going to read through these, and I'm going to I'm going to throughout the class I'm going to ask you guys to help me with the scriptures. So we'll start with Jeremy. Can you read uh, uh, from the Old Testament 
um, Genesis 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All right, thank you. So there's a plural to God talking. So is God, if God is one person, if God is just one, a single <laughs> entity, why does the scripture say, let us make man, like, let us, us make man in our image? So we see a little hint of the Trinity or that there's more than just one person in the Godhead in Genesis, in the creation accounts. Mike, I'm going to have you read Isaiah 6, 8, please. All right, so this is in reference to uh, the prophet Isaiah, and God is asking, God, God is asking, who am I going to send on my behalf? But he's not just saying for me as a single person, but as plural, who's going to go for us? So we see this in Genesis, we see this in the prophets, and David, can you read Psalm 45, please? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. All right, so this is um, what we call uh, one of these messianic psalms, which it's in the Old Testament, but we see a reference to this in the New Testament, and it's in Hebrews 1.8. So, Look at what's written in Psalm 45 and then listen to what is said in Hebrews 1.8. So, Christine, I'm going to ask you to read that. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. All right. So, very similar language here in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here, it's being said of the Son, your throne, O God. So, the Son, Jesus, is God um, and this is what we call progressive revelation. So this is kind of a um, like a seminary term, progressive revela- revelation. What this means is that there is in the Old Testament we see little hints of the of the Trinity. We see little shadows, and as we move on to the New Testament, we see that this is being revealed. That as time goes on, God progressively unveils this truth of the Trinity. All right, so let's continue on now. We're going to go look at Matthew three sixteen and 17. And this is where we'll see, thank you, this is where we'll see that the Trinity appears in real life. So Julie, I'm going to ask you to read that. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thanks. So this is the first, um, this is the baptism of Jesus in one of the very first instances in the New Testament where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coming together in one scene. So as Jesus is baptized, we see that the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove and the voice from heaven, which belongs to God the Father. He's saying, uh, this is my Son. So uh that's in the gospel in first corinthians in the life of the church we see this trinitarian language so ali can i have you read first corinthians 12 please now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all and everyone all right so here we see again in the christian life there is this trinitarian truth there is the the spirits you see in the first line there is the lord referring to jesus in the second and then there is god 
at the in verse six. So this there's a trinitarian outworking of in the Christian life, and we'll actually talk more about this next week. So we see the Trinity in the Old Testament, we see it in the Gospels, we see it in the Epistles. And let's move on to Ephesians 4, 6. Christy, can I have you read this, please? Um, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Great, thank you very much. So again, we see this Trinitarian language. There is a spirit, there is the Lord Jesus Christ, there is the Father. So... This is, like I said, this is the Trinity being revealed as the pages of Scripture go on, as we go through the books. We'll see that we, that there is a little hint of the Trinity and it becomes more and more apparent as time goes on. Alright, any questions? Alrighty. Yes. Um, yes. It says, Lord, um, how are you talking about him to Jesus? Um, if you look at the context, this it's in reference to Jesus. And there's there's actually a lot more passages that refer to the Trinity or um, shed light on the Trinity, but these are just a few, so uh, we don't have time to go through them all right now. Any other questions? All right. Let me move on to the foundational truths of the doctrine. All right. So, number one, God is three persons. God is three persons. So that means, and we're not going to look at all the passages, but let me um, give the points. Number one, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. And what this means is that within the Godhead, all three persons, they don't, they're not, you can't say, you can say that the Father is God. You can say that Jesus, the Son is God. You can say that the Spirit is God. But the Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. So there's a distinction in the Godhead of these three persons. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a few minutes. Um, Number two, each person is fully God. So that means the Father is God. Uh, This is the God that we read of in uh, throughout the scriptures. And I didn't include any scriptures there. But um, we, we... it helps us to see in other places where the Son and the Holy Spirit are God. So the Son is God. So we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament, in the Gospels. We see this in um, the epistles, that Jesus is referenced as God. So this is a major problem for some people, and this is how some cults get started. The Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus is God. And any anyone that any anyone that calls themselves a Christians but they don't believe that Jesus is God this is not you have to believe this to be a Christian so uh, if you want to look further you can look at these passages that I have written down um, number three the spirit is God so we see in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament the spirit is referenced as God the the Holy Spirit is uh it's in the creation account. He was there for creation. He is there as the Israelites go through the wilderness. He is there as the Israelites are established as a pe- as a people. He's there as the church is established. And we'll see, if you look at these passages that are written down, the Spirit is referred to as God. Okay? Any questions there? I have a question. Sure. Why is it limited to just three persons? We'll get to that. Um, 
we'll get to that actually in our next point. One in essence, three in per okay. three in person. Yes. Okay, here <coughs> the spirit is God. Mm -hmm. What is the spirit? This yeah, so that's a good question. And a lot of people they think of the Holy Spirit as this kind of amorphous uh being. Yeah, it's very like uh mysterious. Uh the Holy Spirit we'll get to this um in the next point, but yeah, thank you for the question. Well, so we'll we'll talk about that in just about two minutes. Any other questions? Okay, so let me move on. So these two things, so that that God is three persons, meaning there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of these are God. And then, uh, so, if you get to that point, you can say that, yes, there's three people, there is, all of them are God. And the mistake that some people think, it, or the mistake that some people make is that, that means, doesn't that mean that there are three gods? Mm -hmm. And this is something that, there's this term, tritheism. So, the the Christian faith, the G, the uh, Jewish faith, they call this what a uh, monotheistic religion, right? Meaning that there is one God. There are atheists who believe that there is no God, atheist, and then there are tritheists. There aren't very many, but then sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that are, that there are three gods. Tritheism means that there are three gods, and some people think, oh, you Christians, uh, you say that the Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. That means there are three gods, right? And we say no. And this is where it becomes really important for us to understand that there is, within these three people, within the Godhead, there are three people in there. And this is what makes it difficult for us to understand. Because it doesn't seem to make logical sense. How can three people be one God and there there is only one God? And the scriptures affirm that there is only one God, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Uh, who did we end up with? Um, Julie, can I have you read Deuteronomy 6, 4, please? Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thank you. And Nate, can I have you read First Timothy? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. All right, thank you. So here, there we have it. These are the foundational truths of the doctrine. If you want to understand the uh, Trinity, uh, at least to some extent, you need to believe that God is three persons. You need to believe that each of these persons is God. And number three, there still is only one God. So how does that work out? This brings us to our next point. That the Trinity means that there is, in the Godhead, that there is one essence, and I'll explain that a little bit later, um, and within the Godhead, there are three persons. So this is what really confounds a lot of people. How does it make sense? Doesn't uh, some people accuse Christians of believing this? One plus one plus one equals what? Three. It should three equal three, one. right? Um, and some people say, oh, or does it mean that one plus one plus one equals one? That's This makes mathematical, logical sense. This does. This seems to not make logical sense. So well this is where we try to explain how it can be. Alright? So and let me preface this by saying that people have been trying to figure out the Trinity for millennia. And this is something that we still can't wrap our heads around. 
it doesn't mean that the Trinity is a contradiction. It means it's a paradox. And the paradox is how, is, this is how a lot of the Christian work, Christian life works is, uh, there are things we just can't explain that we can't understand. But these are the things that they somehow give life to our lives. And one thing that I love, um, a, a concept or a, a principle that informs our thinking that I love is this, that if we had a God that we could understand, is this really a God that you would want to worship? If this is a God, like I, I remember hearing a preacher say sometime, one time, like, if I can, if I can fight God and beat him, that's not really a God worthy of my worship. worship. And if we can figure out God with our minds, what kind of God is that? And God has chosen to limit how much we can understand because maybe because if we fully understood it, our minds would explode and we could just, we wouldn't be able to exist. But God through the scriptures has shown us little by little, this is who I am. This is the God that you are worshiping. So let's try to explain this. Um, This may not be the most um, precise, um, but this is my attempt at, at doing this. So what do I mean by saying that God is one in essence? I have this word here, consubstanti- consubstantiality, this multisyllabic word right here. And this basically means that all three persons are the same essence or substance. So let me, um, I've got these three water bottles right here. They, they're all water, right? The water, the, the water is, think of this as what makes God, God. So we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're, we're saying in the, by saying that these are the same essence, we're saying that they all have what makes up, what makes God, God. All right. So let me try to explain that, um, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, think of your identity. If you were to strip everything that, that the world says you are, let's say, oh, I'm, I'm a certain ethnicity or I have a certain job or I, uh, fill in the blank. If you were to strip all that away at your very core, what are you? Think of God or the three persons of the Trinity in that way. They all play different roles. They all have kind of a different, you could say, a quote-unquote face. But if you were to strip all that away at their very core is the essence of God. So, uh, and we'll talk, As if you turn to the back, we actually are going to see how this came about in church history. Um, and this is in the Council of Nicaea um, in the 4th century. So I'll explain that a bit more as we go on. But this is what it means that God is one in essence, is the godness of God is in each of the persons. So God is the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. They all have the characteristics of God. Everything that is true of God the Father, uh, in, in terms of his identity, is true of the Father and the Son. Uh, I need to be careful with my language, um, but because they all play different roles and they're all distinct. But the godness, the essence of the Godhead, is in all three persons. So the God who created created us was God, right? And the Savior is Jesus. Yeah. yeah so um, we'll talk about this later in the creation, oh, okay. but yeah, we'll see how. Um, God is involved, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are involved in everything that happens in the world. All three of them are, but they all play different roles, and we'll get to that uh, as we move on um, to the end of this lesson and also next week. Okay, so um, 
God is one in essence. God is three persons. So all are coexistent, all are co-equal, and all are co-eternal. Yet they're distinct from each other and how they relate to each other. So there was never a time when Jesus the Son did not exist. And there was never a time when the Holy Spirit did not exist. Okay, so just the fact that God is eternal and has always existed, that is hard for us to put our minds around. Now, throw into that mix that Jesus has always existed, that the Holy Spirit has always existed. They're co-equal, meaning that they are all equally God. They're all co-eternal. They've always been around, and they are co-existent. They just, if you were to think in terms of space and time, they've always been there. Okay, any questions there? All right. Let me move on. So this word ontological equality. Um, ontological, it's, if you were to break it down just in language, it means, in the English language, it means um, being or the, the beingness of God. And what that means is that there is no difference in the nature of the person. So this goes back to what we're saying about the essence of all three persons having, uh, being the same. So they, they're, they're all equal. But there's this other aspect of their existence, which is the economic or relational subordination. So that means that even though all three persons were equal, they all play different roles in the Godhead. And they, and, and, and they we'll see this uh, a lot next week, but um, they all play different roles. And let me read for you this, uh, the point here. That the persons voluntarily submit to each other in respect to their roles. The Father is not begotten, but the Son is. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Father sent the Son. The Son and the Father send the Holy Spirit. Father, The Father creates, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies. So all three persons are God, but all three persons have a different role within the Godhead and within existence within redemptive history within uh the universe and all that happens within it okay so this is kind of a kind of very feeble uh brief attempt at explaining how there can be three gods i mean three three persons within the one godhead questions i'm not really sure how to phrase this but in my head i've always thought of the father as being greater than the son yeah like if the father begets the son, doesn't that mean he's greater? I just I, I have trouble separating. That yeah, out. and that that is actually something that um, the church has been trying to figure out. Uh, how is it that the, that the son is begotten? Um, and and the I'll talk a little bit about the Greek word because this actually leads us perfectly into our next point. How is it that if the father begot the son and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son, how are they not all equal? And this is something that. I don't know if I, if I have this here, but there's um, a term, a theological term called uh, eternal subordination, which, uh, let me write that down here. Meaning that the son is subordinate to the father because he, he, came, from, he came from the father. Um, but our language isn't adequate to explain how it is that the, that. Jesus was begotten by the Father because when we think beget, this, that the source of life came from the Father. 
this is one of those things that is a mystery and um uh basically we we can't understand within eternity with within whatever extra dimensions there are i don't know if this is proper usage of i think of inception inception when i think of extra dimensions but the father has always begotten the son meaning that um and i need to be careful with my language i don't want to be heretical but the source of life for jesus has always come from the father but jesus has always existed and this is one of those paradoxical things that is difficult for us to understand. Let me continue on as we as we look at how the doctrine was shaped, because there, people asked the exact same question that you had, and in coming in trying to come up with a solution, um, some heresies came about. Uh, so that's but that's a really good question that people have been wrestling with for uh, two thousand years. Okay, any other questions? You know, you say that Jesus was always existed, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> Even Jesus as a human being um, did not always exist, but Jesus as God has always existed. So, um, and this this is actually a really good question because it leads us into uh, church history as well. So hold on to that question. Let me see if I can address those. And if we're still not satisfied with it, I can't guarantee that we'll be satisfied with it because it's difficult. Because God created Jesus, you know, because the baby came to save, you know, to save the world. Um, does John kind of inform this a little bit when it says, and um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and yeah. the Word was God? Yeah. But it sort of goes into that. Yeah. That and this Jesus is like, is God the creator, but he is also the human manifestation of yeah, yeah. So, um, thank you for bringing that up. And we'll, um, and this actually is more, um, it's real, it's a Trinitarian aspect, but I think if we were to dedicate our time to studying who Jesus is, the Christological study, then, um, we can spend more time in that. But that's a very good question, very good point. Let me see if I can address these as we continue on. And actually, um, Christy, what you brought up about John 1 1 will, um, we'll talk a little bit about that in the Trinity in creation. Okay, so let me try to show in just a few minutes uh, how this doctrine was came about. So number one, the term Trinity did not exist until the early 3rd century. So one of our church fathers, Tertullian, he saw that there were these concepts in the Bible, but there was no term for it. So people say, well, you know, how can you believe in the Trinity? Because uh, the... It, it, the term doesn't appear in the Bible. All the all the term is is it's um, putting words to a, a big concept. So just because the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible doesn't mean that it's not there. Okay. So let me talk about some heresies, and this might this might um, help us understand how as people are trying to understand the Trinity, how they came to um, believe some errors. So the first is modalism which is that God assumes different modes and situations. So these are the people that are, that are trying to acknowledge that God is one, but yet there are three persons. So how does that work out? And what they say is that in different times, in different situations, God manifested himself as either God the Father, 
Other times, God manifested himself as the Son, and other times, God manifested himself as, as the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, and, um, it's called modalism, but another way to look at it kind of facetiously is this is modalism, that God, depending on his mood, manifests himself in different ways. And some people, they try to explain the, the Trinity by using the analogy of water. So water, it exists in three forms, right? What are they? There's the solid, ice, there is the liquid, water, there is the vapor, the steam. So there's one thing, but it's coming, it's showing itself as three different types of, um, I don't know what you call it, um, matter, elements, yeah, or the water as an element is manifesting itself differently. And some people try to explain the oneness of God and the fact that there are three persons um, acknowledged in the scriptures by saying, oh, well, yeah, there's only one God, and God at different times in different situations manifests himself in these three persons. This is really, really, really wrong. Um, and this, the fathers, the church fathers, as they thought about this, they thought, okay, um, if this were true, that would mean that, how do you explain, you know, scenes in the Bible, for example, when Jesus prayed to the Father? If there, if God was God as, if God was the Son, who was he praying to when he was the Son? Um, and there are multiple examples of the, the three persons interacting with each other in scriptures. How do you explain those? So that's one heresy. That's one of the, this is one of the main heresies. And actually, there are people in the modern church who believe this. Actually, a lot of people, they, because they don't, for whatever reason, um, it's so paradoxical. It's so difficult for me to grasp that I can't understand how this can be. So they, they're, they're called modalists. There is another example called Arianism. Arianism. And this, this gets to your question, Julie, about didn't... Um, wasn't or what do you say to people who think that Jesus was created if he was begotten by the Father doesn't that mean that Jesus has not always existed and this touches upon this heresy called Arianism so this heresy was one of the first major issues in the church as it was formulating its understanding of who God was and this came about by a bishop named Arius and he thought well it's really hard for me to understand that the father or the son is begotten. So how can he have always existed? So what Arianism says is because God has always existed in himself um, and because of texts that say that Jesus was begotten, John 3.16 or um, other passages in the epistles, um, Jesus couldn't have existed all this time. So this shows uh or this is a huge misunderstanding of of who jesus is and as we go on if we look at church history we'll see that people the church fathers are the people that fought for us the people whose shoulders we stand on they said okay let's think about this is this true so the first um really big council in the church was in the fourth century the council of nicaea and this was a council of uh hundreds of bishops and leaders in the church and they looked at what Arius was teaching. They said, is this true that the son has not always existed? And this comes, this, I have these really strange words right here. There's homo usias. Homo us, 
Usi, us, and then homo. Let me see. I'm a homo usi us. I know that that's illegible, but let me just try to uh, explain a bit. So, what Arius said was that the the people or the the persons within the Trinity were similar to each other. This is homoousios. So there's this oi, which is different from homoousios. So the word, um, when you say that something is very homogenous, you're saying that everything is pre- pretty much the same. These words, um, the, the, the debate in the Council of Nicaea was, is it is God of the same, is Jesus of the same substance as God the Father, or is he of the similar substance? And Arius said that Jesus is of the sim is of a similar substance as God, which is homoousios. The Orthodox leaders in the church said, "No, it's homoousios, which means that the essence of Jesus is the same as the essence of God the Father." So there's one word which is this iota uh, in Greek in the Greek alphabet, and this is where we get the term. It doesn't make one iota of difference. Well, in the church, this one iota made all the difference in the world. Because you're saying that Jesus is not just like the Father, or Jesus is not the same substance as the Father. You're saying that Jesus is the exact same substance as the Father. So, homoiousios versus homoiousios. So, this was the Council of Nicaea, and this was um, one of the things that really established our understanding of God, uh, Jesus as divine. And um, you may hear uh, arguments from people like, if you've read the Da Vinci Code, they refer to the Council of, of Nicaea as the point, the fourth century council when Christians decided that Jesus was God. Uh, that they say that the church has not always understood Jesus as God. Well, this is simply not true because the church has always believed that Jesus is God. We see this in the Gospels. But there were some people, some false teachers teaching that Jesus is not God, so they had to address it because it was such a major thing. So if you read Dan Brown, which is fiction, or other people who think, well, I, I think if we have a, just the basic understanding of the of Christian history, uh, you'll see that that's not true. All right, so uh, this is the Council of Nicaea, um, the Council of Constantinople. A few decades later, um, in 8381, the confirmation of the Nicene Creed. So in the Council of Nicaea, there, there came the Nicene Creed, which affirmed that Jesus is God. Um, so in addition to that, in the Co- Council of Constantinople, they not, only reaff- they not only confirmed the Nicene Creed, but they also reaffirmed that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. All right, so um, let me, just for the sake of time, I want to get to some other parts of our lesson um, they said, okay, the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is also God. And then we see in the Council of Chalcedon, this focused on the relationship of Christ's divinity to his humanity. So this is called the hypostatic union. So this gets to what Christy was saying, and this touches upon your question. I'm sorry, can you remind me of your name? Victoria. Victoria, thank you. How How is it that God, Jesus can be eternal God and yet a human? So... In First John, it says, "In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God." So, how is it that this eternal God could be a human being? And we have this term, the hypostatic union, which is a big word, which basically means that 
within Jesus, there is a divine nature. He's 100% God. And there is a human nature. He's 100% man. How is it that God, that there can be such a thing? And this is something that can that also boggles our mind. How is this true? But the church affirmed it. They said, we see this in scripture. We may not have the human language to describe exactly how this works, but this is true. So this is how the Trinity was shaped within the Christian church. Is It's not something that we made up, but it was something that was tested it was something that th- taught the church, that told the church, you need to be precise with your language. You need be, you need to be precise with your iotas within the language that you use. Okay, so because when you co- when it comes to the nature of God and it w- when it comes to who is God, this makes a huge difference, and it's something we'll touch upon next week. How is it? Yes. I think, you know, when God died, I mean, when Jesus died in the last minute, mm-hmm. He said, "No." In, in, Father, Father why, why, why have you for, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, and this is um, this is yeah. I don't know if I have time to go over that. Well, next time. Yeah, let, let me let me touch on that next time. But yeah, uh, this is a, a fracture in the cosmic being of of the Godhead. This was huge. So let me move on, um, and we're not going to. I'm going to cover the Trinity in creation next week just because I don't want to rush all this. But let me talk about um, how, why God necessarily exists as a Trinity. So if you look at, or actually, let me, let me ask you guys. Just name some characteristics of God. Who is God or what is he like? Omnipresent. Omnipresent, okay. Um, Holy, sovereign, powerful, majestic, merciful. Yeah, um, let me. So, so these are these are all things that God is. One of the one of the um, one thing that people love to say is God is what? God is love. God is love. That sounds really simple, but this cannot exist without the Trinity. So, let me explain this to you. The Muslims believe that Allah is love. Okay. That sounds all good and fine until you think about what that means. If God was love at his very core, at his in his very essence, and if the world is created and if God is eternal, what was God doing before there was anything? If God really is love, he had to have loved something before creation existed. He had to have loved something in eternity. So he what was us. God doing? What's that? He loved us. But who was he loving before we existed? Himself. He loved himself. himself. He loved, and let me be more precise, God loved his son. So look at John seventeen twenty four. Father, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you see why the Trinity is necessary for God to be loved? Because if you strip away everything else, if you strip away creation from God, who is he loving? If he is at his core love he had to be loving someone and this person is Jesus because if you say that God is love it, and you say that his love is directed towards man that means that in order for God to be loved he's dependent on the existence of man and this is really scary because it means that God is dependent on what? us, on creation 
But the Trinity says, the doctrine of the Trinity says that God is in his essence love. The Muslims can't say this. The Buddhists can't say this. No other non-Trinitarian religion or worldview can say that God is love. Where did they get that, that God Allah? God um, this is um, that's more like a Muslim history and theology, so I'm not going to address that uh, right now. Maybe later on. Okay. So um, another thing is God's primary identity is that of Father. So God has always been Father, which means if God has always been Father, He had to have a Son, right? So look at this from Isaiah 63: For you are Father, you, O Lord, are our Father. If you look through the whole, the entirety of Scripture, the one thing that's true of God that's affirmed over and over and over is that God is father. But how can you say that God is a father if he hasn't always had a son? Because if God wasn't a father until creation existed, that would mean, again, that God is dependent on exist on the cre- existence of his creation. So God is love. God is father. Only Trinitarian doctrine can address this. And... Um, let me talk about uh, two more points. We'll talk about the Trinity and creation next week. Um, that's some really good stuff that I love. I was really hoping I could get to it this week, but we'll get to it next week. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the Trinity. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you have to consider who he is. So we say that Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Christ. These are things that are true of Jesus, right? Any objections right there? Let me read to you from John twenty thirty one. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If Jesus is a son, that means that there is, implicitly, there is a father. And if you say that Jesus is a Christ, Christ means the anointed one, anointed by the Spirit. So the very identity of who Jesus is is wrapped up in the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? So there's all these things. If you look, if you just take time to look at what they mean, you're like, oh, wow, how can this be true? And this is this is one of the things that I think, to me, really confirms the truth of the Christian faith is how across the thousands of years of Scripture being written, can it all come down to this? How were humans able to devise this type of belief? How does it work? Philosophically, um, historically, how can you explain the fact that God is love, that God is a father, that creation reflects this uh, plurality of, of stuff? It's just, yeah. It blows my mind. How did it come to be? And this is one of the things that really um, uh, assures me that we really do have an amazing God. Oh, yeah. This is this is this blows my mind. And as we go on to the creation, the creation part is my favorite aspect of this whole Sunday school lesson. So I hope you're able to come back next week. Um, but let me let me continue on, and we'll finish in three, two or three minutes. God has always been love, and His love is not a selfish love. So we read this passage earlier from Matthew three. Let me read it again. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In Before creation existed, 
God was loving Jesus. And as Jesus is starting his ministry, the love of God is still upon Jesus. God is so pleased with his son. So God's love is flowing out from himself and onto his son. And let me go on to 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Again, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So what this is is saying is, towards the end, the love of God was manifested manifest was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so God is always loving his son and in sending his son God showed his love for the world so there is love because heart from the God to the son to us we exist because God lo- God the father loves the son God's love was poured out on Jesus. And here in this passage in 1 John it says, In this the love of God was manif- was made manifest among us. So this is something that really touches upon not only creation but our Christian life. And we're going to spend 45 minutes next week talking about how this can be. We exist out of love. If you look at other worldviews, they'll say, well, the, the world is a terrible place because look at all the chaos in the world. There couldn't have been a good God that created this. Or, you know, God, if he does exist, he can't be a loving God. Um, or he created us so that we could serve him. Well, this again, if you don't have the doctrine of the Trinity, you're just, all you can say is, well, you must be right. If God is just a creator, that means that he needs creation to have an identity. Okay, so if you look at some um, other accounts of the creation of the world, uh, what's God's primary identity? He is a creator. He is a ruler. What does that mean? He needs creation in order to define his identity. Or he needs people to rule in order to define his identity. But in the Christian faith, in the Trinity, in the doctrine of the Trinity, it says, because God is love, because God is Father, that's why we exist. We exist because God is so full of love. It overflowed from his Son into the creation of the world. Okay? So this is why the doctrine of the Trinity answers so many objections to existence and so many beauty exists because god is love okay so yeah so this is it um there's more i didn't address and hopefully i can cover some of that next week but this is such a huge topic that i could talk for a month about this and we still wouldn't cover it (laughs) but before we close off any questions just a comment yeah um just going back to john one just verse three that god created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Mm-hmm. So basically that Jesus existed in the beginning with God. So that helps me to understand that Christ existed before. Right. And also understanding that um, before the foundation of the world, that like God already had in his mind his plan of redemption through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't come up later. Like, right. oh no, they sinned against me. You know, like he already knew yeah. that he would glorify himself through the cross. So that kind of helps me understand too that Jesus 
wasn't created. Yeah. Creator. And then the last comment I want to make is just in the glory of the cross. I think that magnifies his glory because he put a dent in his own, like, you know what I mean? Like he betrayed his own perfect unity and community for us. And that's mm-hmm. just like, even as I say it, I feel the chill. Like that's just shocking that he would, you know, break his own perfect unity. Like, yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's how much it cost. And that yeah. magnifies him so much more, right? That gives right. him so much more glory. Yeah. And that helps me to understand too, like, you know, all of this, the Trinity. Yeah. Why it's, essential like it can't be it has to be a part of our belief yeah it, can't, it almost like can't I don't know I don't know how to explain it yeah well this is I mean this um, we'll touch upon the aspects of redemption and creation next week um, but this is this is one of those things when you look at it like Paul in Romans he says um, he's talking about who God is and what he's done and in the end he goes oh the riches the magnificence the wisdom of God I have nothing else to say except wow um, theology always leads to worship and the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity should lead us to worship because I think, oh, how can, how can this be, how can this God exist? This God so full of love. And he says, you in all the pain and the discouragement of your life, you exist because God loves you. So that means that God has something incredible for you. I just can't wrap my head around it, but try to, and then you'll, your head will explode and, it's going to be an explosion of worship for God. I don't know. Um, so um, there's the really good stuff is next week, actually. So I hope you can join us for that. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth of the Trinity. We thank you that you are a God of love, that you are our Father, that you send us Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, you have worked in us and in the church, God. And I pray that more than just head knowledge, that this would explode in our lives as worship and that the nations would see this God that we have and say, who is this God? Who is like this God? And may they want the same thing that we have, God. So um, just teach us and, and open our hearts to this truth more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.